Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of India Rising Strategic Affairs Conversations with Mohal and Kishore, a show in which we analyze the happenings from around the world and their impact on India. Before we begin with today's episode, we just hope that you and your loved ones are safe at home and are healthy during these troubled times. Remember to stay at home and stay safe. Gilgit Baltistan is in the news yet again, owing to some reports from Islamabad that Pakistan would want to annex the region and accord it the status of a state. In this episode, we look at the administrative limbo that this region is in and how Pakistan has looked at this region historically and what are the options available for the residents of the region. So, uh, Mohal, uh, you want to start off by uh, even uh, telling why this region is called Gilgit-Baltistan in the first place? Yes, Kishore. So, uh, prior to the independence that India and Pakistan got in 1947, uh, this was a subsidiary region within the overall kingdom of Jammu and Kashmir. So, Maharaja Hari Singh had appointed an officer on special duty to this region. Now, this uh, subsidiary region had two parts, basically. One was the Gilgit Agency and other one was Gilgit Wazarat. So, while the British had leased the Gilgit Agency for a period of 60 years from the Maharaja in 1935, the British already had a representative in the Gilgit Wazarat from 1870s. So, in effect, like British were in... Uh, direct control of these areas under the even though they fell under the Maharaja Hari Singh, the uh, king of uh, Jammu and Kashmir. Now, upon independence, the British uh, had no intention to stay back. So they gave up on their lease and they returned the lands back to the control of the Maharaja, uh, upon which a uh, Dogra governor was appointed. However, since this was a remote region and was out of control, the Ditkat of uh, Maharaja didn't run in these areas. And during the Pakistan attack on the prox- on the princely state of Jammu and Kashmir, which led to the Maharaja signing the instrument of accession with India, the Gilgit Scouts, which was a military unit under Major William Brown, mutinied and like side with the Pakistani forces. I mean, mind you, in, like, this was in gross violation of the agreement between the British and the Maharaja. In fact, shockingly enough, Major Brown was awarded the prestigious uh, British MBE or uh, member of the most excellent order of the British Empire. Uh, this mutiny was codenamed uh, Operation uh, the Takhel, which in the Dogra governor was ousted. The Dogra troops within the unit were pacified and eventually the unit was uh, handed over to the Pakistani army. Wow, so this was, this was actually like a, a stab in the back for the Maharaja Hari Singh, right? And yeah, the, by the British. Mm-hmm, yeah, so the Britishers kind of uh, pretend that they give up their uh, lease, but their own officer who is still stationed there 
side with the Pakistani army troops who are advancing into the region. And eventually you help them raise the Pakistani flag uh, in uh, Kardu. So this is mm-hmm. a classic example of uh, backstabbing. And you also end up giving him the uh, prestigious uh, uh, MBA award as well. <laughs> well, only the British can, uh, uh, only the British are capable of. I mean, they didn't thing. stop interfering like post uh, 15th August 1947, mm-hmm, to say mm-hmm, the least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, for all this, they keep uh, claiming that we wanted to uh, protect our interests in the region, and that's why they keep uh, they had to intervene like this. But I really don't understand why. Uh, I mean, even 70 years after independence, some in Britain still feel that Kashmir is a unresolved issue. They need to settle for, for India and Pakistan. Like unfinished business of the partition is still. So they uh, feel they should the come back and uh, settle it, settle the dispute now again. <laughs> I would say that, but uh, they still like have um, some feelings that you know, like these two guys cannot settle it out. So since we were like the old colonial powers, maybe we can help it settle it. You know. I think it's time we show them the Brexit uh, mandate <laughs> for them <laughs> and tell them we can mind our own business. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let's, uh, let's look at the multiple attempts to address the administrative limbo of the region. After the mutiny and the eventual establishment of the ceasefire line in 1948, the Gilgit areas and parts of the Kashmir Valley, which were on the Pakistani side of the line of control, became the talking points. Questions about how to administer these areas started cropping up. From 1947 till about 1970, the Pakistan government had established Gilgit Agency and Baltistan Agency. In 1963, we all know about this. In 1963, Pakistan gave away Rashkam, which was a part of Gilgit, and the Shakshgam Valley, which was a part of uh, Baltistan, to China, pending the settlement of the dispute over Kashmir. And eventually in 1970, both these agencies, the Gilgit Agency and the Baltistan Agency were merged and brought under the control of the federal government in Islamabad by calling it FANA, Federal Administered Northern Areas. So in effect, Gilgit Baltistan, as we know today, became a separate entity detached from the rest of the Kashmir region under Pakistani control in 1970. Surprisingly, although this area has been directly controlled by the federal government, the region has never been formally annexed. This leaves the citizens of the region in a limbo as they are not considered citizens of Pakistan and hence they don't get to enjoy any fundamental rights. The people of the region have protested for long asking for citizenship status. Although they are issued Pakistani passports, They don't have a say in the Pakistani parliament or other constitutional bodies. Their protests received a judicial approval when in 1999, the Pakistani Supreme Court in a landmark judgment proclaimed that Gilgit Baltistan was a part of the disputed Kashmir region and that Pakistan had to establish a claim over it if it had to control the region. Now, in this judgment, the court had also prodded the government to grant the region a valid constitutional status within six months. And yet, the Pakistani government did nothing for the region. Remember, this was in 1999 and just before the uh, 
Cargill war that we all know about. 20 years late, uh, sorry, 10 years later in August 2009, the government passed the Gilgit-Baltistan Empowerment and Self-Governance Order 2009, which effectively granted self-rule to the people and created an elective, elected legislative assembly, which was called the Gilgit-Baltistan Council. So uh, while the people were asking for better representation at the federal level in Islamabad, the government actually silenced them by giving them nominal self-rule. This was uh, quite uh, ironic uh, to say the least and also uh, hypocritical because uh, they wanted uh, the people of Kashmir and Gilgit-Baltistan to uh, be well represented. However, when it actually came to deciding on that, they uh, gave them a nominal self-rule and uh, left matters there. Uh, fast forward nine more years. In 2018, the federal government passed an order abolishing the Gilgit-Baltistan Council and gave the legislative monopoly to the Prime Minister. So what they gave in, what they gave in 2009, they took back in 2018. So uh, effectively, Mohal, this has been a case of uh, to and fro, uh, one step forward, two steps back kind of a uh, scenario that we have witnessed, wherein the Pakistani government has never wholeheartedly accepted and wanted to uh, do it, wanted to give them a status of a state, and they end up giving a nominal uh, self-rule, but eventually they take uh, that also back again. Mohan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Uh... Now let's explore the Chinese angle in the, this recent moves. Mm -hmm. So we all know that uh, China has uh, built the CPEC or the uh, the China-Pakistan economic corridor, which runs through Gilgit-Baltistan, uh, connected to Xinjiang in uh, uh, Western China. So now this entry of China into uh, Pakistan through the CPEC makes it a very crucial link for both uh, Pakistan and China. Uh, it, it in theory gives a strategic entry by China to the warm waters of the Arabian Sea. Some claim, though the economics of it, it might not be viable that this will give an alternate route to solving their Malacca dilemma where they don't have to use the Malacca Straits to ship everything from west of the Indian subcontinent to China, they could bypass it by taking it to like a port in Pakistan's like Gwadar and shipping it by land route mm -hmm. through Gilgit-Baltistan into Xinjiang mm -hmm. and onto uh, Eastern China where the economic heart of the nation, of the Chinese nation lies. Now, what the CPEC has done also uh, produced many problems for the both China and uh, Pakistan. Now, China has invested a quite a bit of money in, into CPEC, which is like reportedly to the tune of 58 billion. Now, there have been many questions about the economically viable, the economic viability of these mega projects and whether these loans will be paid back or whether they'll just end up as big debt trap for uh, Pakistan. Uh, there are questions raised as to who will actually benefit from this project including the residents of Gilgit-Baltistan and also CPEC passes through regions where the federal, the Pakistani federal government's uh, decatis doesn't run like Baluchistan. So carrying out development project in such places is a huge uh, security risk. Now with the regards to Gilgit-Baltistan, it is a distinct possibility 
uh, as per some recent reports that China is pressuring Pakistan to annex it and make it a province as it helps the federal government to provide better security and cover to the uh, to safeguard the Chinese interests in the region. In fact, even in 2017, there was a talk about Pakistan finally annexing uh, Gilgit Baltistan, making it the fifth uh, state or province of Pakistan. Uh, Kishore, you had even penned an op-ed article about it uh, back then a few years ago. Right, right. So uh, this talk of uh, making uh, Gilgit Baltistan uh, the fifth uh, province or the fifth state of uh, uh, Pakistan uh, itself is not a new idea. It's not an idea that has come out of the blue. This has been uh, talked about for quite a while. And uh, people, uh, I mean, these people keep promising uh, that they'll do, they'll, that they'll actually deliver on this promise. But somehow this never keeps happening. And uh, now that uh, we hear reports of China uh, actually wanting uh, Pakistan to do this, uh, th- uh, this again has got uh, a new life of its own. But again, we need to uh, see how things do pan out. Okay, so what, what we actually want to look at right now is another dimension of how uh, Pakistan's response has been to India's abrogation of Article 370, which happened uh, in August of last year. So uh, August 2019, uh, India abrogated uh, Article 370, uh, which uh, had actually accorded special status to the region of Jammu and Kashmir. By abrogating it, uh, they also split it into two union territories, Jammu and Kashmir and Ladakh. As per the new maps issued by India, we have the Gilgit-Baltistan region belonging to the Ladakh Union Territory, and the Indian government refers to Gilgit-Baltistan now as Pakistan occupied uh, Ladakh. Pakistan went on an overdrive trying to portray India in a bad light for having abrogated Article 370, but kind of uh, failed to achieve its objective of getting the decision reversed. Not only uh, did it actually fail or backfire, but uh, uh, none of the world's uh, capitals actually took uh, the matter seriously uh, because most of them actually uh, issued statements telling that this was an internal matter of uh, India, that India is capable of handling on its own. For Pakistan, it would have been a a diplomatic victory if the decision had been reversed, which would have been a shot in the arm uh, for its nefarious designs to actually capture the entire region of uh, Jammu and Kashmir. With nothing to show for its grand plans of a diplomatic victory, Pakistan uh, is now forced to react. And the rumors about making Gilgit-Baltistan a state might just be the latest trick that Pakistan wants to play to prevent the residents of Gilgit-Baltistan from revolting yet again. Because it's quite obvious that uh, people of Gilgit-Baltistan might actually feel alienated and uh, might actually start raising questions on the efficacy or or uh, the power enjoyed by Islamabad, that they might actually start questioning as to if India can do all this and you are incapable of uh, even making making Gilgit-Baltistan a state, then um, what's the point of even staying uh, with Pakistan? So I think these are the subtle questions that might crop up or that might uh, rise uh, once in a while. And as per, uh, as per some of the reports that come in from the European Union and other uh, third-party uh, bodies, we do hear of uh, uh, human rights uh, violations that are carried out in these regions. 
so we also we also keep hearing that the media is not uh, uh, free and fair in uh, gilgit baltistan so uh, the the possibility of uh, at least some part of the population not being uh, not being uh, in cohorts with the islamabad government uh, agreeing to have uh, gilgit baltistan made a fifth state is something that has to be considered uh as a real possibility okay so now uh, what has happened in the past 4 uh, 5 months is actually quite uh, interesting and that's the real trigger for the uh, discussion that we have now the gilgit baltistan council uh, has had two elections until now one was in 2010 and the other one was in 2015 the term of the second legislative council which had started in 2015 ended in july this year and the elections were to be held again but were actually postponed due to the covid-19 outbreak it has now been announced that the elections will be held on november 15th uh, 2020 which is in less than 2 months to elect the members for the third legislative assembly more important uh, so uh, i think i think now uh, what pakistan is trying to do is that they might want to showcase this elections that are to be held in gilgit baltistan as some kind of a referendum wherein uh, islamabad might tell that uh, you come and vote and you show your solidarity and support and uh, we will showcase this to the world and uh, trigger the process of um, annexing uh, your region into the uh, into the nation of uh, pakistan however we need to understand that any change to the pakistani constitution needs her two third support uh, of within the pakistani parliament now currently as we know the uh, the pakistan tehreek-e-insaf government led by uh, imran khan uh, does not have a two third uh, majority in either houses of the parliament and therefore will need the support of the opposition to pull this off Now, as we all know, the uh, the all the various uh, opposition parties in Pakistan have now teamed up together and formed some kind of a alliance called uh, Pakistani Democratic Front. I I may be wrong with the name there, but that's the kind of uh, alliance that they have formed, wherein they actually are trying to uh, wage a war against not a war, wage uh, some kind of a protest against uh, uh, the Imran Khan government and also indirectly on the army. Uh, because they feel that the army runs the uh, government which is no surprise which is something that we all know and which we all which we all keep talking about but uh, this uh, democratic alliance is actually talking about trying to bring down the government and also ensure that uh, the democratic institutions and uh, the state level institutions are uh, uh, are made free of any army influence that Uh, they feel has crept in ever since uh, imran khan became the prime minister so i think that's the uh, situation as as of today and the opposition is uh, in no mood to uh, agree to whatever imran khan's government wants to carry out when it comes to gilgit baltistan so even if the uh, provincial elections do take place even if uh, islamabad wants to portray it as some kind of a agreement by the people uh, to get annexed uh, by pakistan i don't think the constitutional amendment is going to happen any time real soon mohan yeah i mean uh, 
unless there's a overwhelming majority it would be hard to i mean it all depends actually what the the deep state in pakistan wants uh, if they want to do it then they might conjure up the majority or you might or you or you should have a coup after which you will have the army and uh, it will be easy for the army to suspend the constitution and then annex gilgit baltistan so that's another possibility yeah but like military coups i think they were very uh prevalent in the past but i don't see a military coup happening again because the uh, international blowback no, no, would be right. quite I'm a bit i'm just talking of a possibility of how this uh-huh. can be pulled off yeah. but then yeah. you are right because uh, the minute you end up having a coup again uh, the fatf review which is going to happen in another one week or two weeks time mm-hmm. will again backfire on you so yeah there are many yeah. other parts to this equation yeah i mean military coups are like unlikely because i mean not only the fatf but in general the economic situation is very mm-hmm. dire so right. they would rather pull strings in the background where they could uh, pressurize various sections of uh, the institutions out there to uh, make sure that they are pliant to the military rather than doing an actual coup so it would be like a more like a soft coup in my opinion mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. anyway so moving on to like what would be india's uh, options to such a possible move from pakistan so india has uh, reacted strongly to the news that elections will be held after saying that neither the government nor the judiciary of pakistan have any locus standi on the areas illegally occupied and forcefully occupied by pakistan now uh, india has expressed its uh, Uh, intend by stating to publish uh, weather reports for both uh, pojk and pol uh, regions now india does have some more options uh, like one is that whenever the new assembly for jammu and kashmir is reestablishment uh, reestablished and after the delimitation process the seats which are earmarked for the occupied areas must be filled with people who fled from those areas and were recently provided uh, indian citizenship uh india can earmark uh, lok sabha seats for gilgit baltistan and kashmir again under uh, pojk and pol uh, and appoint mps from the same section of people who fled the country and were recently accorded indian citizenship mm-hmm. uh civil suits can be filed in the high court of jammu and kashmir and also in supreme court of india uh challenging the conduct of legislative actions with the help of judiciary these actions uh, conducted by pakistan uh, can be declared null and void uh furthermore india can establish a government in exile with the help of those kashmiris who have been given citizenship uh who have fled from these areas during the uh, past uh 3 uh, india pakistan was an obviously also kargil the fourth war uh also a, a tribunal can be set up to investigate the claims of genocide by pakistani authorities on the people of gilgit baltistan uh, they could carry out investigations proclaim offenders and ask the international court of justice to help bring the perpetrators to justice you know hmm sure? yeah there are quite a few options that way um, short of uh, actually waging a war and trying to grab the region there are many other things that can be done uh, to signal the intent yeah 
Okay, so that brings us to the end of the discussion. Uh, moving on, uh, like we do, listeners, uh, to the recommendations of the week. Uh, Kishore, what do you want to share? Anything which you read, which is worth recommending to our listeners? Mm, yeah. So while actually researching for the for this uh, episode, uh, I stumbled on this book written by the major himself, the major who had uh, uh, mutinied, uh, Major William Brown, who uh, had. Uh, sided with the Pakistani army. So this book is called Gilgit Rebellion, The Major Who Mutinied Over Partition of India mm-hmm. by Major William Brown. So this, uh, I think, uh, gives uh, the narrative or the perspective from the major himself, uh, who was surprisingly uh, awarded the prestigious uh, MBA award by the, by the British uh, Queen. So I think uh, this is one book uh, which uh, will be interesting for uh, people who are interested in uh, the region and also interested in uh, Indian uh, history. So I think that's my recommendation. Mohan, you want to go ahead with your recommendation? Yeah, so my recommendation is the article by Sheza Chaudhary, uh, mm-hmm. which was published in an op-ed in a Pakistani newspaper, The Express Tribune. Uh, it's titled The Curious Case of Gilgit Baltistan. Mm-hmm. So the author here goes on to explain from a Pakistani viewpoint as to why Gilgit Baltistan merits to be a state. Mm-hmm. Surprising. I mean, uh, I think you would also agree with me on this. Because when we were uh, researching on this topic, we kind of realized that there wasn't much literature coming on this topic from Indian side, which uh, kind of uh, signifies that even for India, uh, we have kind of forgotten this uh, remote region or we don't spend too much time and effort on this region. So I think that's something that needs to be corrected, both from an Indian government uh, standpoint and also the Indian analyst uh, standpoint, wherein we have to uh, come up with our own literature on trying to understand how and what happened during the 1947 uh, first India-Pakistan war. Yeah, I think it gets uh, the Gilgit-Baltistan while being slightly different from the rest of uh, POJK, mm-hmm. which is like referred to like Azad Pakistan by the Pakistanis. Like it gets clubbed together as one uh, single region. So that's why it doesn't enter the conscious of many people in India. Correct. I mean, also the even if you look at the ethnic diversity, I mean, it's mostly, I think, Shias and Ismails, Ismailis exactly. yes. who are uh, traditionally the residents of this region, even though there have been reports of uh, demographic changes try, trying mm. to be done by the Pakistani government. Uh, maybe this might be the whole game plan that not to accord them any kind of uh, statehood, because if you grant them statehood, they have to be assigned seats in the Pakistani parliament. And when they get representation, they might be, they might get restless and uh, might create more trouble in the Pakistan National Assembly Mm -hmm. if they have a sizable representation as per the population. So maybe once if they do like a demographic uh, change where like more uh, Punjabis uh, are settled into Gilgit Baltistan Mm -hmm. and they change the demography, they could have then give them representation where they would be more amicable amicable to the interest of what Islamabad truly wants in this picture. I mean, so one has to just think that 
on the demographic change and like giving representation to far away provinces like ends up in disaster like like we had east pakistan who had representation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh in the pakistan assembly pre 1971 and if i remember correctly the largest single party in the election before the 1971 correct yeah was uh, by uh, uh sheikh mujibur rahman yeah. yeah. sheikh mujibur rahman who won more seats than the parties in west pakistan now the pakistani deep state or athard military didn't want him to uh, form the government so i believe like uh, he was overthrown by i mean i mean he was blocked from uh, getting any representation and i think and the election was maybe annulled or i, I don't recall the exact details but uh, he wasn't able to uh, become the, the prime minister of pakistan yeah. form the government so the same logic like you know you don't want to rest you far away province to maybe get a representative that could be the reason that they haven't given uh, any kind of representation to the uh, gilgit baltistan area in all these years mm-hmm. okay guys uh, that uh, brings us to the end of the episode uh, we have we have looked at gilgit baltistan region largely forgotten about the outside world uh, to continue hearing about such interesting topics uh, please do subscribe to our channel india rising wherever you are listening to us please press the bell icon to get notifications about new episodes if you have not left us a review we urge you to do so as it helps other listeners like you in finding us we would like to hear from you if you have any suggestions on any topics that you would like us to cover do remember that these topics should be directly related to indian foreign policy until the next time this is mohan kishore signing off mm-hmm.